1: Here comes 17 attempts to try to do the intro. <laughs> do you want to do the
0: intro? Um, uh,
2: wow. What do you even say? Hey, no, I, I like your energy. I like the create little creative monsters thing. Okay. Slash beasts, slash whichever you decide to call them today. I like your <laughs> intros. I like your intros.
1: Well, uh, hello out there. Little creative beasts and monsters and little munchkins. Welcome to Random Badassery, the podcast where we study creativity and uh, everything related to it, including random topics that pop into our heads. See, My name is- was pretty good. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's sorry, not that's a bad sorry. intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're getting better. Yeah. Uh, I'm Chad Hall, and that other voice you hear is Lam Wen. Oh. And for those of you who have listened to the last two episodes, which has been a lot of you, you may notice a little bit of difference in sound the ios experiment is over at least for me
2: yeah i'm still i'm still trying it out on my side i i still think there's a possibility um and and so far uh, because i don't have a beard i guess the the your level of manliness is causing some problems um for for me, the, the mic still works decently well. I mean, it's not the greatest sound quality, but it's also um, not as gnarly as having to set up an entire laptop with the, the, the Snowball and everything else. So for now, um, it still seems like it's reasonably functional on my side.
1: I think uh, for all of you who listened to the last two episodes, you hear that crinkling sound. Apparently, that is the sound of the Apple earbud cord rubbing against my beard, which took me two weeks to figure that out. Last week I had it clipped to my shirt and somehow I still got the noise. Maybe even worse last week. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so for those of you who were frustrated or annoyed by that sound, I'm sorry. Um, you know, the thing is that before we go any further, just to touch on this a little bit more, the thing that's that, that's frustrating to me about the whole iOS experiment is in order to achieve the level that, that I was going for, There's not really an advantage. Um, I can, I could get the lightning connector and plug the blue, the blue snowball into an iOS device. But then at that point, how is that any different than plugging into a laptop? Sure. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just that they don't make good enough microphones for iOS yet, or maybe it's just that, um, I didn't feel like investing, you know, $200 into a lavalier mic.
2: Yeah, or the other side of that too, which is um, our frustrations with Bluetooth technology and how it compresses audio because it doesn't have a, a, um, a fast enough through rate to the devices themselves to to give you high quality audio. I mean, I, ideally, I would love to be able to do this on... on a high quality Bluetooth mic um, or a Bluetooth headset of some kind that would allow me the freedom to, you know, I I don't know about you, but when I talk about creative stuff, I like to move around. I like to walk around and wave my hands in the air like a crazy person. So for me, the the, the restrictiveness of having to like sit in one spot and talk about this stuff actually makes the mojo feel a little strange.
1: Yeah. I mean, you heard that sound comparison that I did and it's just shocking.
0: Oh yeah. Ridiculous. That
1: talk... Holding my phone with no, my iPhone with no uh, headphones at all and talking into it sounded better than the Bluetooth. <laughs> the Bluetooth yeah, sounded you. like I, w- I was inside of a robot's gut. Which, which, uh, <laughs> that's a good description actually. Which Bluetooth
2: headset did you just use the, the standard uh, Apple Bluetooth uh, headphones or, I mean, what, 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 what did you end up trying?
1: I couldn't use the Apple ones because it takes a minimum six weeks to get to you right now because apparently they didn't expect to sell as many as they have. I mean, they've been out for months and they're still sold out everywhere. Yeah. Um, I even looked on, there's like a map that shows you where they're being sold, you know, where they're available in the stores. And it was like two places in the middle of nowhere in, in America.
0: Huh.
1: <laughs> so, uh, I ended up buying a $40 pair, um, called Senso. Uh, I mean, as far as sound goes and everything, for forty bucks, they're great. And I, I didn't want to drop two hundred bucks, regardless, because I just I don't think the Bluetooth technology is there yet, so it's not worth dropping that much money. In a year or two, I think that they'll be in a better place. But I mean, regardless, I have that other pair of Motorola ones, which were like a hundred and fifty when they first came out. The sure. sound quality wasn't different on those, and I still had uh, recording lag. It was like um I don't know good almost a whole beat.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was difficult. I remember we tried to do uh, an, an episode that way, and it was just brutal. I mean, it, and it's it's funny how I was thinking about this actually. Um, not not specifically concerning the podcast, but how humans have evolved to communicate with uh, verbal communication, and how even just such a subtle difference, like a one or two second delay, changes that entire experience so significantly.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, just the viability. When you think about when I pick up my iPhone right now and I just, I, I'm i still to this day, it's been a couple months that I've had the iPhone 7, you know, like four or five months, whatever. And when I pick it up without the headphones and I'm just talking into it like a normal phone, a normal cell phone, I guess you'd say, I'm amazed by the speaker quality on that phone. Every time, like I, it sounds better than the earbuds and that amazes yeah. me. Um to the point where, like you said, it, it changes the way I interact with the phone. You know, before I used to like somebody would call me, I'd go grab the headphones because I want to make sure that I heard them and understood them. Um now I'm like, uh no, 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 the headphones, I don't want to deal with that
0: crap. <laughs>
1: sure. Uh but anyways, uh, one thing I would say that that has been really great about this iOS experiment was I went through the whole thing. We learned a lot. I felt like we learned a lot. I mean, we found Ringer, which is a great way to record calling without having to have Skype and then a Skype plug-in and then all the robot voice that you use to get all the time. We haven't had that. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. But setting back up the blue snowball, knowing that I was going to do this episode with that, it actually inspired me to do something and I've been talking about for a long time, which is start a second podcast. Ah. Uh. And, uh, for those of you who don't know, which is, I would say 98.9% of you, I have a new podcast. <laughs> it's this, this podcast, first of all, before we go anywhere, I need to clarify that some people were freaking out a little bit. This podcast Random a bad history. It's not going anywhere. It's not changing. Uh, if anything, it's growing. So yeah. don't worry. Um, my separate podcast is shorter form. It's just me. Um it's kind of like audio essays but they're really short it's like 5 10 minutes i only have one episode so far it's called what i wanna talk about wanna as in w a n n a um you can find it everywhere i have it in google play itunes overcast tune in everything um you can search for that search for my name come check it out um and lam did you want to say something about what you're going to do
2: yeah, um, I'm also going to be starting a podcast as well uh, that's entirely separate and weirdly focused. Um, I am a golf nerd, the likes of which very few humans on the face of planet Earth will ever be. Um, and I have, you know, focused a good portion of my, my current life um, into the study and development of the game. Uh, so I will be starting my own podcast called uh, No Bad Pars Cast. Um, that's 100% credit to Chad for that. The company that I have um, by itself is called No Bad Pars. Um, but Chad, of course, came up with the awesome name because he is a writer and he's amazing. So in the next couple of weeks, uh, as I figure out which format makes the most sense, um, whether it's going to be a video podcast or an audio podcast, uh, my format will be very similar to Chad's just because Chad is in many ways a trailblazer uh, for the two of us um, when it comes to how to do these things correctly and incorrectly. Um, so I am going to be um, pretty much dancing along in that wake and starting my own podcast that is focused specifically on golf. I may, det- you know, I may divert from that from time to time, um, just because I don't know how much I- golf I could actually talk about. Um, that's that's a total that's a total lie. Of course, I feel like I could talk about golf for the rest of my <laughs> life. Um, but I, I, I want to give myself the option to occasionally throw other things in there like music and art and creativity, even though most of that will still live here in random badassery. And yeah, I'd like to tell all those people too, because I had a couple of people just randomly call me um, over the course of the week uh, once you posted that announcement and said, hey, did you and Chad have a falling out or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're fine. We're fine. This is a totally separate podcast. I'm this is a good thing. thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for it's the reason why, and a lot of people don't know this, but... You know the inner workings of your your, your and my head and our, our relationship when it comes to how we deal with random badassery, not only is it not going anywhere, but like you said, it's growing. We added that second episode um, per month, and we may end up starting to do weekly uh, once we figure out um, a very clear direction uh, for the other formats for the, the, the episodes. We want to try to keep it as diverse as possible when it comes to the, the format so that people continually find something useful out of every episode you know maybe you don't care that much about artist profiles but you love productivity stuff or maybe you want to hear interviews or whatever it may be so we want to give ourselves the chance to flush it out properly and to give the type of content that doesn't compete with itself but also gives everyone something useful uh, in the creative process for random Badassery as well
1: yeah i feel like creativity is such a huge subject that you can't just approach it from one angle so trying to get as many angles into it as we can um I think it's necessary. And and these separate podcasts are not only, I mean, it's, it's an outlet for us to Lamb's not going to be able to talk about golf on here a lot, but he loves golf. Um, I have other random things. Like my show is called what I want to talk about because every week it's going to be whatever I want to talk about. There's no specific subject, but it's going to be stuff that probably is not going to come up in here. Or maybe in some ways, sometimes it'll be an extension of something that comes up in here that, um, I didn't want to take up the whole podcast of me talking and I do enough of that, um, where lamb doesn't talk nearly as much as I do. Um, just because I have long winded things like right now.
2: <laughs> really? You think, you think that's actually true though? I was listening to the podcast and it doesn't feel like that to me.
1: Sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's just me being uh sensitive. I don't know. I've, I've listened to a couple other podcasts with two people and, I've noticed dominance of time in those ones between the partners. So I always fear being that one.
2: <laughs> uh, I got you. That makes sense.
1: But uh, like I was saying, though, these are going to be extensions of who we are. Um, you know, they might not be an extension of this necessarily, but I hope that you guys will go check out both of them. You know, like I will be Lamb's first subscriber. There's no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> And it's it's exciting because what you're seeing right now, or you're not seeing anything, you're probably seeing your phone or your hand. Um, what you're hearing right now is us really diving full face into podcasting. Um, I mean, at this point, I would say with two shows, we are technically, though not getting paid yet, on the verge of becoming pro podcasters.
2: I'm still shocked um, at the level of support that Random Badassery has gotten. I, I You know, the, your comment from the other day really, really hit home uh, when you released your new podcast and seeing single-digit figures. Uh, you know, and I remember when we jumped initially to double-digit figures and then to triple-digit figures, and now we're getting close to, you know, the, the thousands or quadruple digits, so it's really strange to, to, to realize that we came from that and to, to, to remember that we started there, and now, you know, obviously perspective changes as success grows, but for, you know, even now, um, considering where we are, if I look back, it feels like we've gone a long way, but if I'm looking forward, it still feels like we have a long way to go on top of that, too, as well, so it's an interesting perspective one way or the other.
1: And it's exciting knowing that we have places to go still because I mean if we didn't why do it? Sure. Yeah. But it's I mean it's very humbling um the amount of support that we've received and it's also um I feel very grateful for that and I feel grateful for what we've created. I'm I'm really proud of this show. I say that in my first episode of my own show. I'm really proud of this show and I will whore it out across the planet because I believe that what we're doing here is not about you. It's not about me. Uh, it's about everyone. It's about uh, opening something up. And I feel like, you know, you and I talked about this briefly before um, I decided to just kind of focus on the shows and not worry about social media. Um, about what the focus of this show was, you know, about what we were actually doing, what our why was. Um, you remember that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. you want to kind of explain it?
2: Um, are you talking about the, the old version of it where we initially started or where the or the revelations of, of current?
1: Oh, you can talk about both if you want, even as a comparison. It's up to you.
2: Yeah, it's funny because way back when we started, um, I think in the very, very beginning, the, the common thread through all of this and the reason why we initially did it was you and I would just stand around and have conversations about this kind of stuff, whether we liked it or not. Because that's just the nature of our relationship. So we would dissect um, productivity and creativity and artists and things like that. And so, you know, the the original idea was for us to to channel that into something that might potentially be useful for other people. And um, I, I remember when we very f- the very first iterations of the show were much more about tech and how tech um, was was a part of our lives in in such a a, a consistent way. Um, and for for a guy like you who who is a writer both in a very tactile sense and a technology user in a very in-depth sense, Um, the dichotomy was interesting to me um, as a person. So for me, part of the reason why I thought the podcast was a great idea was because I wanted to see how both of those things coexisted in the same person. Um, It's very interesting to see, like for a guy like you, for example, you still use notebooks religiously, you like to write on typewriters, but you also have the most extensive knowledge of productivity apps I've, of any person I've ever met on the face of planet Earth. And I know developers who develop productivity apps who don't know as much about this stuff as you do. So I guess the core of it has always been about usefulness, um, about creating something useful, about creating something that allows for an insight or, or, or a an experience that people can gain some knowledge um, from, from either you or I. And I think that that we have progressively evolved that formula to try to include uh, many different things. Um, And eventually, at some point, we settled on creativity. Um, But I think that that's only a small part of of who we are and what we are when it comes to what we can contribute. So um, I I think your revelation towards the more modern, uh, not the more modern stuff, but the more recent stuff um, is pretty great. I I, I loved your idea of the format. So I'd rather you talk about the formats, actually. I, I liked your explanation of it better.
1: Uh, okay. So basically, you know, like uh you guys, some of you may actually read the things that are attached to this and not just listen. And you'll notice that we've always used, um, the tagline, at least since this new format of studies and creativity. And I mean, it was a really apt description to a, to a point where almost, um, at this point, I kind of wish it was the name of the show. Uh, but it's, it's way too late for that. (laughs) We have an amazing logo and we have an amazing theme song and, uh, we can't forego those to change the name and we've built a brand name. Um, but it, so it's, it's, it's our motto in the sense that, um, it was just a description of what we were doing. You know, we were studying artists, you know, this is when we were only doing one episode a month. Um. But when we started doing this one, I started realizing, you know, we were getting into um, – sorry, not this one. This is one of those artist episodes. Um, when we started doing the mid-month episodes, I started realizing that we were also uh, – we were getting into inspiration and motivation and um, really breaking down what we we're learning in these in these study episodes, breaking that down into how it's fitting into Lamb and My Life and then uh, hopefully in some way into your lives. And it started, um, dawning on me that it, it was like a class, um, almost like we were, you know, community college teachers, you know, teaching a class in creativity. We're studying it, but at the same time, we're students in it, you know, a student led class in a way. Um, so I think that that's the unifying for me. The unifying vision here is that I come into each of these episodes with something to give. Um, it's, it, it's not about what I have to say or what I think so much as what I have to give and what have I learned? What, what can I bring to the table for you guys to take away into your lives? Um, so, and then Lam and I were talking about that and he felt the same way. You feel the same way, right?
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's very strange how it changes my perspective of teachers, um, and i And I realized throughout the course of my life that the best teachers I've ever had were the ones that were very enthusiastic about what it is that they were teaching and in 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 having this discussion with Chad, one of the things that I realized was my best teachers were probably doing what we're doing, which is constantly learning about the subject so that you can stay excited about it. you know just being passionate about what it is that you're teaching, and I think that's uh, unintentionally we stumbled into that. Um, and we became the the, the the teachers that we loved best, and I think that there's there's a very clear through line to that when it comes to um, you know what we what we feel like we can provide. I feel like you know in the, in this in, in most of the episodes where we're featuring artists, and probably to to the same extent with most teachers that are very excited about their subjects, we feel like we leave so much of it on the table. Um, we probably talk about maybe thirty percent sometimes up to 50% about what we really want to get out. But for the most part, our, our rampant enthusiasm and, and almost fanatical passion for, for some of these artists and the art that they create is, is pretty, pretty telling.
1: Exactly. Um, I, I just feel like this is, this is our chance to uh, maybe pay back all of those teachers. <laughs> uh, that So I, I hope that, <laughs> In in some way, I hope that whatever we give you guys, whatever we can find and provide for you guys, that you guys are forwarding this out into the world. That not just our show, um, but I mean the knowledge and and your own insights. Um, I I feel like that that that's the way that the world should work. You know, it's like you provide something and they provide something. You know, the pay it forward idea. So. Yeah, I-
2: I really didn't understand that 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 statement that most teachers or or most humanitarians made until we really started doing this podcast which is you know if I can affect one person um then then I I feel like I've 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 done something I've done something of worth in the world and um and it, I finally now understand what that actually feels like you know in some of the responses that we've gotten from from reddit and from just personal people as well as a, a few of our reviews and, and some external communication, um, it really feels like we're doing something of some real worth and, and that's I've never I've never felt that type of pride before. And it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, like one of my personal revelations this year, I know this intro is really long, guys, but I feel like everything we're saying here is of value. Um one of my personal revelations for this year is step outside of your own needs. Um, anxiety and all the issues that I've had before, they all come from me paying attention to me too much. Um So the more I can do for other people, the happier I am. And that's, that's a fact I've, I've proven that in my own life. And I feel like this show is one of many ways I can do that. Um I can read about the people that fascinate me and the people that inspire me. Um, And I can bring what I've learned for myself into the world and hope that in some way it, it, Adds to other people's lives, um, and the fact that I get to do that with one of my best friends is even better. Yeah, can't lose there. <laughs> well, let's let's step into one of these artists. As as we said, we have um, at the beginning of the month for anybody that's a new listener, we study one artist. Um, this month um, is Frida Kahlo, the painter. I'm really excited for this.
2: Yeah, so am I. She's she has such. I mean most of the other uh, art, artists struggle in their own ways throughout the course of their lives but Frida Kahlo's struggle is unique among all of them um just because she had she 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 was an artist in such a tumultuous time in Mexican history and she had to deal with such crippling um physical ailments that it, the fact that she somehow stayed an artist and and actually became a more prolific artist because of a lot of these things um, is 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 telling uh, of this type of person that she was and the strength that she had as a human being it 's an incredible story
1: and I do want to point out right now at the beginning of the episode um, if lamb hadn 't noticed this i wouldn 't even have noticed i'm just I get such tunnel vision. This is the first woman that we 've done, and that 's kind of in a way very disgraceful <laughs>
2: yeah it is i mean considering it 's funny because we 've talked about doing so many women in the past um, on on the show and and I don't know why we've never pulled the trigger. I guess it, I was thinking about that actually while I was re- free sh- uh, researching Frida Kahlo. And I think one of the reasons why is because I wanted to, I don't feel like I know my women artists as well as I know my men, my, 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 my male artists. And that's, that's tragic in a way. Um, and so Frida Kahlo was the exception to the rule for me. And I, I feel like now I need to go back and look at all of my my, my female heroes um, in the art world, like you know Maya Angelou. I don't know nearly well enough. Erica Badu, um, India Ari. I mean, there's there are so many phenomenal female artists um, that I just don't have as much of a clear history or perspective on, and I, that's that's tragic.
1: And I think in some way that's indicative of the generation or the society that we grew up in. Um, even though it wasn't horribly as sexist as, um, uh, previous eras, it had its own degree of sexism, which now, even, um, if anybody has seen the documentary Anita, which is about Anita Hill, if you haven't seen it, you should watch that. Um, she's actually an incredible woman, a very incredible woman. Um, but looking back at watching that documentary, there's footage of men in the 90s, which, to somebody my age and your age, Liam, the nineties doesn't seem that long ago. Um, but hearing them talk about sexual harassment and their complete ignorance of what sexual harassment was, was, was shocking. And, but at the same time, it, it made me feel really good that we've come that far in the 20 something years since then.
2: Can you believe um, that was 20 years ago?
1: <laughs> yeah, we're old.
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, I never realized that. I never realized that.
1: It's crazy to me. Um, but, Hopefully, um, I think a lot of the reason, too, that we uh, did what we did was obviously not on purpose. We weren't ignoring women on purpose. I think we just had such a queue of people, such a line of people stacked up in our heads, and every episode would spawn the next one. So naturally, if you do an episode on a man, there's a larger percentage of chance that it's going to spawn you into another episode about a man. Uh, it's just the way it is, but it wasn't purposeful. and uh, we're we're going to rectify that because I haven't said this to you, Lam, but I think the next like three episodes should be about women.
2: I I think we could cover the next 10 and comfortably do women only. Um, But yeah, no, at least the next few, that makes sense.
1: And there's so many, like you said, there's so many amazing women that I would love to cover. You know, like people like Sylvia Plath.
2: Um, oh, Sylvia Plath. Why are we keeping she w- all of the, the she would be that an- have horrifying stories?
1: Actually, she would be a completely natural extension of this Frida Kahlo episode. We may need we to could, do that.
2: Yeah, we could almost do them in the same episode, considering the, the trials and tribulations that they both experienced throughout throughout their lives. Although, their struggles were very different. With Sylvia Plath, it was much more um, uh, mental disorders over the course of her life and depression right. and anxiety. Uh, versus Frida Kahlo, who literally just got hit by a bus. Um, yeah. So I mean, the, you know, the struggles. I, I suppose the struggles, whether they're internal or external, um, are just as real um, and just as crippling in their own ways. But Frida Kahlo's physical ailments were to a to a degree that were unique among the artists in the art in the art world, uh, both at the time as well as since.
1: Right. I would say that one of the other similarities between the two of them also is uh, the complexity of the relationship with the main man in their life, their husband. Oh, um, you know, the, the, the complexity of the relationship between Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera, which we will go into more in a minute and between, uh, Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes, you know, was it always this or was it always that? And it seems like it, there's a lot of gray in those relationships. Sure. Um, so anyways, let's, let's really jump into Frida Kahlo. Um, you know, it's what one of the plays I think that. I wanted to always start with this, that I've, all the things I've looked at, everybody starts with this. And I think it's, it's, it's pretty big point is that she was born in 1907, but the Mexican revolution started in 1910. So she would always tell people that she was born in 1910 because she wanted to be in some way synonymous with Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that says a lot about her, um, about the way that she dressed. Um, she would dress very traditional Mexican, um, which was almost Spanish to me. Um, it's it, it, there's a lot of you're going to hear in this episode a lot of interweaving between um, her art and her life it's going to be actually really hard for us to focus just on her creativity because she brought her art and herself into everything um and not in an egotistical way
2: in a weird sense um and here here's here's where I feel like. I think I, I think on the list of things that Frida Kahlo could have done in her life, if if you if you were to ask her, and this is purely speculative, of course, I and mean, this is based on quotes that I've read and things that I've seen of hers, but I feel like art would have been the last thing she would have chosen, considering what she she considering what she was doing before um, most of her injuries. Um, you know, she was studying to to go to medical school. She was going to be a doctor. She had a very strong uh, sense of political acumen, and she at some point um, expressed an interest in in really pursuing a life in politics and a life in public service. Um, and so, I feel like if you were to ask her uh, at the age of of fifteen versus the age of twenty five, I think you would have you would have gotten very very different answers. Um, and I think that that Frida Kahlo's story is one that very much highlights the, the 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 thing that you started this episode with, which was. In the service to others, it isn't important what you do as long as you're doing something that matters.
1: Hmm. That's that's something you should have tattooed on your flesh.
2: (laughs) Oh, I like that one. I'm keeping that one for something. (laughs) Yeah, I like that one.
1: Uh, By the way, we're getting a little bit of mic sound on your end.
2: Oh, really? Weird. Yeah, Uh, like you're rubbing uh, on something. Oh, okay. Yeah, the cord is twisted and it's... Brushing against me. Okay, got it.
1: That's how sensitive these microphones are, guys. Um, I'm not gonna cut that out. You guys are gonna hear the real meat of what happens in this show. That um,
2: literally that literally just tapped my skin. Um didn't even rub against anything, literally was just tapping against my skin.
1: And if you guys noticed in the last episode that random randomly lamb and I would say the word shazam. That was our secret word to tell each other that there <laughs> were some mics.
2: Our safety word. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's how comic book nerdy we are. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Even though I never read Shazam, but whatever.
2: I, you know what? I didn't either. Um, and he was probably one of the most irrelevant characters in all of DC until they included him in in certain stories in order to make him relevant, like Kingdom Come and a few other things. Okay, back. To, he, we're, he we're off topic. Let's yeah, let's and he
1: weirded back. me out. I don't know. Um, yeah. So one of the things going back to the actual conversation, um, w- one of the things that is hard for me not to make a comparison between Frida Kahlo and Che Guevara. Um, both of them, uh, not only because of um, Central American, South American, but um, because of both of them were going into medicine and then their life took a completely different turn. And sure. uh, they, I, I don't know that we would know their names if they had just become doctors. Sure. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about the accident because I feel like that is one of the things you cannot avoid.
2: Yeah, I mean... It- not only did she have the not only the accident, which happened when she was eighteen, she also had polio when she was younger too. So she was already crippled um, before the the accident was even a part of her life. Um, and prior to the accident, she, I, I mean she she was one of those prodigies. You know she was she was very much a, a unique a, a unique kid even among her class when it came to her proficiency with medicine. Um, and then the the accident that was. it's, I don't know if I would have had the strength as a person to have fought through a lot of, a lot of what she did. I mean, don't get me wrong too. She also made some very weird steps when it came to the recovery from her accident. Like she got involved with some, you know, what would, what people would consider like witch doctors and charlatans and, you know, people trying, she, it was a quest her entire life to try to find a way to alleviate just the constant crippling pain that she was in. And for anyone who, who, can imagine she was she was literally in pain for 27 years of her life, yeah. um, and and this is not and this is not a, 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 a you know a minor ache or pain. First of all, polio is already crippling. Um, second, the the accident itself um, caused severe damage to her spine, which was just constant nerve damage in her body. So she was constantly feeling pain for almost 30 years of her life. And within that span of 30 years, she was desperate. I mean, I I honestly don't know what I would have done if I were in her situation. So maybe my... my my questioning of her, her looking for treatment from all of these various different sources is is misguided and unfounded because I've never I've never had to experience that level of pain on that consistent of a basis and 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 so I, I just don't understand the mindset.
1: Right, I think most people would have just put a bullet in their head. Um, and to clarify the details of what we're talking about with this accident, um, I don't know specifically. I tried to find photos of what these buses in Mexico looked like at the time. Um, but I couldn't really find it. I know that they had a lot of wood in them; that they weren't a lot of metal, you know. Because we're talking about um, nineteen twenty, approximately, or nineteen thirty. Um, yeah, because she was born in nineteen oh seven, eighteen yeah. years old. Okay, so somewhere in there, um, a lot of wood paneling. And apparently, I I don't. Lamb, do you do you remember what hit the bus? How the bus was hit? She was on a bus. Um. I, do you know what I, hit the bus? I don't. ah, oh
2: Man, I, I read that like two weeks ago when we started this, but I don't remember off the top of my head.
1: Okay. Well, anyways, guys, as we've said many times before, we're not Wikipedia. Um, Though we do use Wikipedia, and you should give them money. i <laughs> uh, just kidding. <laughs> no, not kidding. Um. Anyways, so I, the, either something hit the bus. I think what's more likely is the bus hit something. Um, it's been, it's the details on it from, from what I read were never completely clear from the sources I was looking at, but I wasn't really looking into that. Um, but the bus, it essentially, it shattered (laughs) the whole bus and then people on the bus. She was on there with, uh, I think his name was Ernesto, her boyfriend at the time. Um, and one of the giant pieces of wood pierced her abdomen. And I don't mean like it poked into her. I mean, it went through her body um close to her vagina actually um just right through her lower abdomen just went right through her and they this they, apparently i don't know how uh how much truth there is just, there's a lot of legend um when it comes to frida kahlo especially about this story but uh apparently in the accident it was such a traumatic accident that her clothes were ripped off of her or at least her shirt i kind of think that maybe there were some perverts there i don't know That's my supposition, (laughs) but, and, and something, there was some sort of like gold dust or glitter that was on this bus. This is where I start to wonder, um, that was, had gone up into the air and she was, so she's naked and covered in gold glitter and pierced in the abdomen. So I don't know if somebody was having some obscure, like, uh, sexual fantasy about this, adding these details, but, uh, the, the part that's really, um, that stuck out to me. And I think this, if you want to talk about the level of pain, this is where it started in the most excruciating way. Like you said, the polio was there. But uh this thing pierced into her so deeply that one of the people decided, which um doesn't sound like a good idea, decided we should pull this out of her right now. And he put his foot down. He had to put his foot onto her to hold her body down so he could rip this piece of wood out of her. And it, was they actually,
2: say, it, it was actually a piece of metal. It was a it was a handrail from what I remember.
1: Oh, really? I thought I read it was wood. It doesn't uh, – maybe it, that would make more sense because I was trying to figure out how this would. But anyways, he had pulled it out of her. He pulled it out of her, and she screamed so loud from the pain that they couldn't hear the sirens. I, I mean, that, that's – yeah. we're talking about – we're talking about – shatter i mean it it went through the middle of her abdomen so of course it shattered part of her spine she was in corsets and collars and and things like that for the majority of her life um so she was always bound up in some way as well
2: yeah what people don't realize is when it impaled her it actually went through her pelvis like literally through her pelvis and, and broke the pelvic bone um and from what I remember, yeah, I think I think it was that she was on a, a school bus that smashed into a streetcar. Um, the accident mm-hmm. itself was pretty terrifying too. Like I mean, it, quite a few people died in the accident, and most people at the scene thought that she was she she was a goner um, even at the time because her injuries were quite extensive. It wasn't just that she got impaled through the pelvis with this giant piece of metal. Um, but she also broke a bunch of ribs. Um, she broke both of her legs, uh, shattered her collarbone, had lacerations that were inches in diameter and just bleeding profusely. So, I mean she she looked she looked like she'd been mauled by a tiger and then run over by a car essentially. So it, 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 it's you're right. The court and she yeah she had to wear corsets her entire life, um, and even from the accident itself. I think it was three or four vertebrae that were that were were were, were, were I don't even know the medical term, but they were displaced, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her entire life, um, to do anything that a normal person would attempt to do caused her excruciating pain.
1: And and to clarify, too, um, <clears throat> excuse me, these corsets that we're talking about, these were not soft um, fabric corsets. These things were made out of plaster. Yeah. Um. Sometimes metal later just, in life.
2: Just super rigid. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so th- this is uh, – if if you've seen – if any of you have seen um, Downton Abbey, there's a character named Bates in there who at one point – he has this limp and at one point he gets this leg brace. And this is just metal that he has strapped to his leg and it rips into his skin and he's just bleeding all over the place because this thing is rubbing up against his skin. That is the level of technology that we're dealing with. <laughs> Uh, The level of medical knowledge we're dealing with. So these things that are strapped to her body, they're not only rigid and holding up against her. She's wearing them all the time. So they're rubbing against her skin and rubbing her skin off. So she has sores on – I mean just incredible amount of suffering. And if you just took that accident – into mind and you left out the polio and you left out the years of uh, residual pain from this accident. Just the trauma of that accident alone would change you as a person forever. The post traumatic stress from that, it's incredible. So and you know,
2: you know, it's even more fascinating as well. She was recovering in the hospital um, because she she figured that she would not be able to to be a doctor. Her first thought wasn't about how am I going to live, but she wanted to change her career to be a medical illustrator, which combined, you know, um, her her interest in 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 being uh, in the medical profession with her her love for art. Ah, oh, man, it's 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 tough because I, I, I this is probably the first episode where I'm kind of slightly teary thinking about this stuff
1: Uh, by with, with no reservation in my mind Frida Kahlo was one of the strongest human beings that ever lived ever um just to live that life and then to make something amazing out of it as well I mean just just to live after that and to live through that pain and to just be a person like the rest of us, you know, not a name that's going to be in history books, just to live a life is strength beyond strength, but to also be able to make art and to change the art world. Like she did. I mean, in some ways I feel like there should just be a big poster of her in my room. So I can look at her every day and say, whenever every time I have to whine about something, be like, remember that, remember that. She's a like totem.
2: I, yeah, like I was, I was complaining to you earlier this morning about how I, I was waiting two and a half hours for a, a washing machine that was coming late, and then I think, well, at least I don't have three fractured vertebrae. Oh. <laughs> oh,
1: and, and another thing too, she was um, the the only thing that they could give her was bed rest. Yeah. So she was she was chained to a bed, essentially not chained, but you know she's not able to get out of this bed. And that's where she started making art. They brought in this, um, like easel like contraption that hovered above her head because she couldn't really sit up. So it would be above her head. If you, if you guys go watch the movie Frida with, uh, Selma Hayek, there's, you can see her using this thing or the approximation of this thing. It's also in a couple of her paintings as well. Um, so she's painting literally upside down.
2: <laughs> Ugh, unbelievable. And,
1: And that's why uh, she's, for those of you who don't know her and don't know her art, I I implore you, while you're listening to this episode, type her into Google, start looking at some of her paintings while we're talking about this, because it's going to enrich this episode for you. Um, It's hard to to do a visual artist in an audio format, but if you guys do your part by looking at something while you listen to this, it's going to make it better for you.
2: And also from that perspective, too, keep in mind when you're looking at her art um, that it's 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 an amalgam of so many different styles and eras um, that it may be. I know for me it was difficult to look at at first um, because I didn't understand the perspective. It was a lot of traditional elements of of culturally like culturally traditional um, Mexican art with some very surrealistic themes and some modern style. So it's a very powerful amalgam of all of these things and in order to give it the type of perspective that, that or I'm, I'm sorry, to give it the type of respect that it deserves um, also look up those individual styles as well, like look up classical Mexican art or, 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 or heritage art from Mexico and you'll understand what I mean.
1: And definitely you want to look at um, Diego Rivera which was her husband, his art um, is very much uh, an influence on her art as well and I believe it worked both ways personally. Sure, sure. Uh, um, But if you go through and you look at these things, you're going to notice as well two things that you're going to notice when looking at her art. Number one, um, it can be very primitive looking in the sense that she wasn't going for photorealism here. Um, Though I think you can see different levels of uh, virtuosity. At certain points, uh, she's almost uh, traditional painter style. Um, But the other thing you're going to notice is 90, if not uh, 95% of these paintings are of herself. They're self-portraits. Um, part of that reason is she's stuck in a bed (laughs) she doesn't get to see a lot of things so she has herself she can look in a mirror, she can paint herself Um, but she took that and used that go ahead
2: Yeah, uh, I'm such a jerk Um, when I first saw Frida Kahlo's work I thought, oh she does nothing but portraits without having any understanding of why um she 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 did mostly self portraits and it's because she literally could not do much else um and so it, instead of uh, instead of trying to, to i guess the best way to put it is it, instead of an outward look she took a hard inward look um not just at herself but but the plight of woman and the 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 understanding that women had within society. I mean, there, uh, for example, a lot of her work has has trees or roots as themes, um, and uh, in a lot of the descriptions of the work, it's to signify the 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 roots that she has in her culture, but to also to 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 also symbolize how how women are are trapped within that society and trapped within um, a culture that that sees them as lesser citizens, and and. You know, in, in the more I researched about Frida Kahlo, the, more, the less it became about the art and the more it became about what she was trying to say. And I think as I got older and as I got more experienced with not just my own struggles, but with art and everything else, I really started to see layer upon layer upon layer of, of themes that stretched so far back in her work and so deeply in her work um, that I, I, I feel like I could continually look at her work and discover something new every time.
1: Yeah, I think when, when we say that, uh, she, all she did pretty much was self-portraits to people who don't know what we're talking about, that sounds really boring. Like, oh, it's the same picture of her face every time. I would, I would dare you to put two of her pictures together and tell me that they, that there's anything similar other than the fact that she's in them. Uh, the ways, the multitude of ways that she explored that subject and used that subject just as a baseline, I think, you know that that was the commonality but where she jumped and leapt off from there uh was i mean these i'm looking at the paintings right now you know the, there's like one with her with a monkey on on her shoulder and all these beautiful leaves behind her but then you have uh you compare that to one that's just uh the, like one that you should all look at for sure is called the broken column and you can see kind of one of the corsets that she wore she painted herself in one of the corsets and she she's has this um like uh Stone column in the place of her spine. Uh, and it's just shattered and broken and falling apart as a representation of how she felt about her back. Um, just like I said, go look at these paintings. They're extraordinary. And what, what you'll also notice too is that she has this massive unibrow. <laughs> and if you, it's, it's like it's one of her trademarks, right? But if you actually go look at pictures of her, her unibrow was not that intense so she she exaggerated that um I don't know if she she knew that it differentiated her in some way um, yeah,
2: it did she actually it, it was a point that she was trying to make actually um it was it was to she purposefully made her form less beautiful because she didn't want it to be about her beauty um and she because she was a staunch feminist most of her life, so that was definitely purposeful,
1: yeah, and she gave herself um, a mustache in most of them as well, mm-hmm. you know, not a mustache like mine, but you know like a womanly mustache. <laughs> is that such a thing <laughs> a womanly mustache i think that's what john waters has sure <laughs> uh no i what i mean by a womanly mustache is you know it's just fuzzy um and and for those of you who don't know this when i one of my side art projects is i paint and when i paint i paint self-portraits um uh, so obviously Frida is a huge huge influence in that um And to me, self-portrait is, it's this idea of like, when I first started, I wanted to paint faces, um, but I didn't really want to insult anybody by painting them (laughs) because I didn't (laughs) think I had the skill. So who's better, who better to insult than yourself? But then when I really got into it, and I think this is going back to what you were saying is when you start painting yourself, like Van Gogh did the same thing. A lot of the, um, quote unquote, master artists, um, what she was doing goes back harkens back to before that back to the Renaissance and things like that. Self portraits were a standard um form of art for painters. And, uh, what she really did that. I don't know that a lot of them other than maybe Van Gogh did was use that as a way to dig into the internal, exactly like you said, to really understand the complexities of what is inside of you by exploring what is outside of you. Um, and I think that that's, if we're going to pull one lesson out of this right now is we spend a lot of time looking at, um, you know, like with the, with the Neil Gaiman episode, people always ask Neil Gaiman, where do you get your ideas from? Where do you get your ideas from? We're always looking outward. We're always looking outward for ideas, looking at the world when maybe all you need is inside of you. All you need to do is explore those. And the great artists do both in some way, right? Um, they write a story maybe about a a character but that character is an exploration of things that are inside of themselves
2: well i think a big part of that for frida um and actually to to all of the artists that we've we have featured on the show that um is really telling is that there's always a very unflinching view of truth um and i think sylvia plath if we eventually do sylvia plath which i'm sure we will um is a good example of that as well with frida she confronted things in her own life with a level of, 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 of brutality and and earnestness that, that I'm not sure most of us could, you know, we, we, in a lot of ways, as, as people, we create these simple, happy, delusional, um, delusional parts of, you know, views of our, our, our worlds in order to, to make them more palpable. Um, And I think that, that artists like Frida Kahlo, uh, whether it was by circumstance or by choice, um, she had to take. A, a more honest view a more or more glaringly difficult view. Like for example, she has um, she had miscarriages throughout her life. And so she, she, she felt this woman, this womanly guilt about not being able to bear children. And you can see how she explores that in some of her pieces in such an honest and brutal way. I feel like there's, 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 you know, if you look at guys like Lynch or even Neil Gaiman, whoever they may be, there's 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 a confrontation of truth um, at the intersection of fantasy at the intersection of, of fantasy and reality that is really, really powerful if you can use one to explain the other. And I think no other artist that we've covered has a clearer sense of that that, that combining of those two things than Frida Kahlo. There is there is there's there's so much painful brutal and almost gut-wrenching truth um, to her work. And the more you understand her story, like it's it's almost worth doing in a very different way than we've done with a lot of our other artists. You should read her biography and then look at the art that corresponds with the time of each of those particular moments in her history. It's really telling and it's very, very fascinating.
1: There was also, um, I don't remember what I was listening to. I think it was one of the podcasts that I was listening to where they talked about this. There was an art exhibit that was traveling around. Um, that was, it was her clothes. Um, it was her wardrobe, you know, the clothes oh, yeah, that she yeah, wore. Yeah. And, uh, they were talking about how looking at what she, oh, it was a book. It wasn't a traveling art show. Um, it was a book that somebody had found. I'm sorry. Um, and it showed what clothes she was wearing at what era. And just seeing that um you, you you could like dig into what was going on in her life in a way because her clothes were a representation of that too, because not only were her paintings and artwork to her but her whole persona her whole the way that she put herself out into the world, she took that pain and made herself into a masterpiece uh it's just an extraordinary story, so Lamb is absolutely right i mean. When, like we said at the beginning of this episode, you cannot divide her from her life, um, her art from her life. And there's tons of symbolism in there that, like Lamb said, you, you're looking at these paintings. There's so many things that you're not going to understand because number one, we are not, uh, Mexicans in 1930, 1940. So, um, there's certain knowledge that the, that those people at that time had that, um, some of these things were very obvious, you know, like the the painting of her as the deer with all of the arrows going into her. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know um, that that relates to St. Stephen um, because it's not part of our culture so much anymore for some people, perhaps. Sure. Uh, so there's a lot to learn in looking at things in her life, looking at the things that she was um, looking at, uh, things that she was reading, um, but also a hard thing that – in some ways, it bothers me because she's such a strong woman that uh, it's hard for people to do an episode of her without talking about Diego Rivera. Um, you know, almost like they have to go together. But I feel like, uh, because her life is such a part of this, it, it's not because, um, you have to bring a man into it. Um, you know, it's, it's not that thing. It's because her life is inextricably tied to it. And these paintings, some of these paintings are expressions of the complexity of that relationship. You know, like sure. the one of the the two Fridas, mm-hmm. um, the one that Diego loves and the one that doesn't, and there uh, the arteries from her heart st- stitching across and connecting. It's it's very vivid imagery.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and Diego, the the other thing that we haven't quite touched upon is the the time in which they were a part of Mexican culture. Um, it, it it almost felt like you couldn't be an artist in Mexico at that time without also being deeply involved in politics. And that's actually how her and Diego met, um, is through their their political affiliations. And they were both uh, communists. Um, and I don't know how people will be, obviously, this is not a political show, but, you know, leave your reservations at the door about political views. Um, that's, you know, Diego Rivera for most of his life was what was more popular in Mexico at the time, which was a, a muralist. Uh, most of the great artists in Mexico at the time were muralists. And in a lot of ways, because of Frida's injuries, um, she was the opposite of that. She she created art that was on a much smaller scale, uh, but with much more. At least to me, there's 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 a, a stronger sense of focus to her art. Like the the two Fridas, for example, um, is such an amazing piece in how how clearly it illustrates her her feeling about a particular thing, and how how focused that. Ideas uh, versus something like if you look at any of Diego Rivera's work, and I, I suggest that you do, because he, in in a lot of ways he was a remarkable artist, and and he was a a, a, a very important man in the, the the political movement at the time. Uh, but his his work is much more sweeping. His themes are much broader. Um, Frida's themes are pinpoint, laser accurate um, to how she felt about a particular thing at any particular time. So I mean that's 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 definitely a very strong difference.
0: I
1: feel like that's maybe part of the pairing here too, is, you know, he's very macro, you know, he's, he's, he's large and she's very micro. Well, actually that's the wrong terminology, but, um, he's, he's big picture. She's small picture. He's telescope and she is a microscope. Um, and, and I mean, they, they met when he was painting a mural at her school. She went to a parochial school. Um, he's painting this mural and, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Diego Rivera was a fat dude. He was not like some slim, sexy dude. He kind of looked like, uh, Humpty Dumpty a little bit. He had his belt pulled up in the middle of his gut. Uh, he's very comical in some ways, but he got a lot of ladies. Um, but she was just a young girl and she used to go in and steal his lunch and tease him while he's painting this mural at her school. Um, and then they met again later in life. Um, which is where they, they kind of got together. Um, he was, uh, I think, 20 years older than her. Yeah, uh, something
2: like that. Significantly older.
1: And, and I mean, he was a famous artist at the time. She's just this girl in school. You know, she's not on a life path at the time. Um, but it, what's also important to say about the political part too is you have to understand Mexico at the time. You know, the Mexican revolution was going on when she was born. Um, so we're talking about a society where, the majority of the people were crushed by the upper crust um it was a very um aristocratic society because you had the people who were um of spanish descent who had money that were uh, oppressing the people who had native blood um or mixed native blood and which was the majority of the population and uh, you had much actually to some degree, much like Mexico is still to this day, you had 90% of the land owned by 10% of the people, if not less. Um, So communism was a huge thing there because you had people that were not, who needs were not being met. So the idea of communism was something that at the time people were latched onto if they weren't part of that upper crust. Um, And the fact that Diego Rivera was a famous artist And latching onto that was a big deal because he was a public figure. So for him to latch on to communism, it was a huge deal because he could have just been like everybody else and said, give me mine. Um, And when Frida became famous as well, um, more so near the end of her life, it took her a lot longer um, just because people didn't understand. And you're talking about a sexist society as well. But I think a lot of, this is my personal opinion. I want to see what your spin on this is, Liam. A lot of people dig into their relationship a lot. Um, as you know, when you really look at what they're saying, what they're doing is expressing their own feelings about relationships. Uh, because the complexity of their relationship, I think is something that we'll never understand. Uh, Diego had many, many affairs. Uh, Frida had affairs too. She had an affair with Leon Trotsky, supposedly had an affair with his wife as well. Um, so some people will interpret, um, their relationship as Diego is a classic abuser. And then other people will, uh, interpret it as, well, Frida was crazy. Her dad even called her a demon. Uh, the truth is, is a mixture of all that stuff. Their relationship was complex. It wasn't perfect, but they did love each other and inspire each other. You know, like people think that, um, I, I was listening to something that was actually, somebody talking about it, and they were very wrong. They said that um you know Diego belittled Frida's art and that's actually not true. Um if you're going to say one good thing about Diego Rivera that's undeniable is that he always promoted Frida to create. He was the first person that saw artistic talent in her. Um when she brought her drawings or paintings to him or or sorry he brought she brought him to the blue house to show her some of the stuff he'd been working. He was the first one to say this woman has talent. Um, and when he would go, like when he was in San Francisco for his own art, he would always make sure that people were seeing what Frida was working on. Uh, so there was a, there was a, in some degree, maybe that's the hardest thing to separate the two of them is because he's the one that made sure that the world knew who Frida yeah, was. And
2: I think that, that this is where I kind of want to remove the, their, their their non-artistic relationship, because I think their relation, their their true love was through art. And I think their true love was through creativity and the the place where they didn't really love each other, actually, in a strange kind of way, was as people Um, because, you know, there, there, it's, it, there's, at least if you know anything about Frida's life, she makes, um, she, she doesn't hide the fact that she hates Diego Rivera in some ways and loves him in others Um, but the one thing that they always had for each other the mutual respect that was long-standing and never faded was how much respect they had for each other's artwork I I remember one of the you know the the quotes I read from Diego Rivera that I ended up writing down was his description of Frida's work Um, he described her work as an unusual having an unusual energy of it, I'm sorry, an unusual energy of expression, precise delineation of character, and true severity. And I don't think that I could have described her artwork any better than that. At least, you know, from my perspective. So I, I think that, sure, I, he was a self-confessed womanizer, and that that there, he he never made any, like, he never tried to hide that. Um, nor did Frida try to hide, um, the fact that she had had affairs as well. Um, but you know, the, it's telling to, to, to see that they were together, um, for most of their lives, having divorced for a year and then getting remarried a year later. But, but you know, they, they, they couldn't stay away from each other creatively. They couldn't stay away from each other artistically. And I think that there's, there's, there's a magic in that, that, that separates who they are as people from who they are as artists. Um, and in a, in this particular case, it's in a very painful way. And I think that um, you know the, the 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 two Fridas is a great expression of that in a, in a lot of ways. In that she felt like I in a lot of ways there's there, she had to be two different people in order for her to survive and stay with Diego because despite a certain part of her hating Diego, she could not be without him and vice and vice versa too. That's, 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 there's, that's yeah, a two way street as well. I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound like, like Frida is pining mm-hmm. after a guy. This was a two way street. And, 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 and Diego was in, in many, in many interviews that I've, I've seen, I've seen of his concerning Frida, he, he gushes about her artwork. He gushes about, about her, uh, her ability and her, her precision. And, and, and you can tell that there's, a reverence that is very, very unique in a lot of ways. There's, there's a part of, of, of what he says that, that almost feels like I could never do this. This is a type of art that I could never, I could never produce myself. And this is why I have such a respect and a reverence for it.
1: Yeah. Despite their um, personalities and relationship inabilities at times, they were, they, they worshiped each other in, in many ways. Um, Equally, I would think it seems uh, from what I've seen, you know, obviously, like I said, uh, us reading about these things so long later, we're, we're reading multiple, multiple people's interpretations of details and stories and, you know, what's true, what's not, who knows. But one thing that's clear is that they, they kept falling apart and then coming back together. So they were always driven to be back together. So in a way you could say, uh, if you want to use the word soulmates, they were soulmates in the sense that. Uh, they felt that they needed each other to complete their lives. And uh, what really drove that home for me, there was a documentary that I watched and there was somebody who was there at the funeral. It was, I think he was one of um, Frida's art students. um, And said that when you went to the funeral and Diego was there, you saw Diego in the matter of an hour go from being a man into becoming an old man that the death of Frida changed him, not only uh, inside, but physically changed him. Um, he only lived, I think it was yeah. three years after her. Um, and, and one of the things that he was quoted with saying was, uh, I never understood the strength of Frida's love until she was gone. And uh, the, last, the last thing that Frida painted was actually not a self-portrait. It was watermelons. Uh, And inside uh, one of the pieces of watermelon she had written, um, uh, Viva la Vida, Long Live Life. Uh, And what I thought was very beautiful, too, is the last thing that Diego painted before he died was also a still life of watermelons. So his last moment, what he was thinking of was Frida. And the fact that both of them connected beyond death um, in art. It goes back to your point that they were inextricably linked in art, um, even though that they didn't paint anything, uh, the same subjects or anything. And I feel like that internal dive that Frida did, what what um, Diego saw in Frida is the reason that we know who Frida is. And most people don't know who Diego Rivera is anymore. His yeah. His art is not as important.
2: Diego's artwork was much more important at the time. I mean, I think, you know, it, a lot of this applies to men too strangely um, when it comes to our previous subjects and that I think the meaning mm-hmm. of such pieces have much more clarity when they're seen in the time in which, um, in, in which they were meant to be seen, uh, versus Frida's work, which is, is themes that are just on running for women, um, you know, cultural identity, uh, the, the, the themes that, that that her her artwork took on were much more universal and much more timeless um and so i think that i I, th- I think that to say that that in the long run um frida's work is seemingly more important is not quite as fair uh, because diego definitely painted for his era and for his political beliefs within that era
1: right he was a, he was a man of his time um a man of the, yeah. of the time and she's uh, an artist for all ages um and i don't mean age as in 15 or 20 i mean ages as in eras of time um she that internal dive that um really digging into is something that we're all going to be able to relate to in some way um divorced from the complexities of our current situations um both politically um societally because in some way, there's always going to be something we can relate to in those, especially for women. Um, even if you just look at the, the way that she dealt with love, um, the, the way that, like you said, she mourned, um, the loss of children. I, I think those are things that women are always going to relate to because those are the circumstances that aren't going to go away. You know, women are always going to unfortunately lose children. So to see that mourning represented is always going to be, <clears throat> excuse me choking on my tea, there's always going to be something there for people to latch onto and really feel. And that's the power of art is to be able to do that. And that's why I feel to some degree, maybe um, more dismissive of Diego's art, because to me, it doesn't really express um as much, you know, uh, political is is good at the time, but I don't feel like it, um sure. it carries forth. It doesn't carry something forward for me. Um, other people would argue that which is great uh so why don't we let's dig into like some of this uh, you know we always make this promise we're going to tell people what the lessons are and what we learn so i mean lamp
2: the power of love itself um and i know this sounds really really cheesy but um it won't once i explain it um if you look at, if you look at her life, if you look at her relationship with Diego Rivera and, and, and you see how much turmoil there was in that relationship, um, you then can't really quite understand. I don't even know how to explain this clearly. It's, it's tough to see how they stayed together. I guess is the best way to to do that because it's, it's a, a nuts and bolts thing. It's a, you know, pros and cons, um, set of columns that, that determines whether or not, um, this person makes sense for you, but the, 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 lasting testimony of their lives is how ruthlessly dedicated they were to each other's art. Um, and how, how much, how much their passion for each other's art drove them to, to almost I, the, the way that you said it, which is their, you know, their, their soulmates in a lot of ways, just, just because they, they could not continue without each other. Um, so I guess that, that to me is the, the 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 most standing lesson is to 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 let love in, um, and and to let love take hold of you, and to let love let you see past the things that Ugh, I, I I I feel like I'm condoning bad relationships by saying all of this, but I'm not really saying that. What I'm saying is you you have to <laughs> when, when you feel it, you have to give it the the chance that it deserves because you never know if it could be something that is that special it is something that is this, that is so, so immensely powerful that you'll never feel anything like it again um, for the rest of your life. Um, so I guess that's one to be brave enough to let love in. Um, number two is nothing, nothing in the world is, 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 is bad enough for you to not create to not work on something, to not do better, to not continually get better. If Frida Kahlo can do it, um, and if for any of you out there, I I, I I hope that you research her story after this podcast. Once you see what she had to go through um, to become the artist that she became, you'll realize how pointless it is and how, how frivolous it is to, to be hung up on, on the the hilarious and horrible daily things that we deal with on a daily basis. You know, your 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 extra whipped cream on your frappuccino seems, seems so pointless um, after you realize that this woman is painting in bed in a plastic corset staring up at a mirror uh, with three shattered vertebrae and a shattered pelvis um, after a miscarriage and she's got a paintbrush in her hands. <clears throat> I challenge any of you to be in that situation and to have the compulsion to do that. That is unbelievable to me
1: this idea of if Frida Kahlo can do it, so can you, I, I, to me, that's, that's a huge motivator, but I know for a lot of people in some ways, um, when you hear stories like this, in some ways it puts people off like, well, she had the strength that I don't have or, um, you know, so what? So she does it. She did it. Her situation was different than mine. We, you know, people can u- <clears throat> use that. Keep choking. Uh, can use that as a motivation to push themselves away from something. Um, And I think that what's really important about that, that we don't dig into when we say these things, because I I think for me, I automatically assume that people understand this and some people don't, is that Frida Kahlo didn't, wasn't able to do these things because um, she was special. Which sounds like an awful thing to say, but what I mean is that she wasn't born with some gift of being able to transform pain that other people are not born with. Uh You know, this, it wasn't, you know, like she wasn't born with web fingers that allowed her to swim through the ocean in a way that other people couldn't. She was born with all the same tools that all of us were born with. Um, mm-hmm. what, what was different for her is that she made a choice. She chose to transform that. She chose to take this and do something with it. And and that is the difference between us and these these great artists, especially transformational artists like Frida Kahlo, is that they make a choice. And every day that we don't do the things that we want to do, every day that we don't live to be the person that we want to be and create the things we want to be, or we avoid it, we're making a choice. We're choosing not to do that. Uh, so your life is full of choices. You have the ability to choose to be who you want to be. Your past, your pain, all of that. That is a choice to carry on with you. It is a choice to interpret. It is your choice to feel those things. Um, and I know that, that people going through trauma, obviously they're, they're, they're not in a place where they can do that as easily as other people because they're caught up in it. But I assure you that it, it is a mindset in the sense that we only experience the past, uh, through memory. Um, if you, if your memories were wiped out, your trauma would be wiped out. Um, that's how linked things like that are. And we only experience the future through imagination because it's not here yet. So the only thing that we can truly experience, the only thing that we can truly be in is now and the present. So when you look at a life like Frida Kahlo, she could have laid in that bed and focused on that pain, um, she could have really just, like, lived in that pain. And if she lived in that pain, she would have become that pain. But that's not what she chose to do.
2: Which is, it's not about fear at all. It's not about strength. And I think that's, that's what a lot of people mistake when it comes to these things. Like, if you look at Nick Cave dealing with the death of his son, for example, you know, most of these things are not about, about strength. It's about compulsion that is built because of action. Um, Frida Kahlo is a good example of this as well. I think at some point she made that choice you know, the the choice that you're talking about. And once she made the choice, she kept making that choice until it was no longer a choice and i think that that is the thing that 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 people need to understand like i mean it's for me it's 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 the the same reason why i compulsively take pictures or i compulsively work on my golf game is that i kept doing it until there was no choice it wasn't a choice anymore i wake up and i think about doing it i wake up and i think about what i can do next to become better at it and i think that there is no strength involved there, you know. I, I have a full-time job. I have a horrible commute. I have health problems that I'm dealing with, but none of those things even matter to me in those moments in which I'm doing those things. You know, in, in the moments in which I'm 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 being present and I'm I'm working on my photography or I'm working on my writing or I'm working on my golf game. Nothing else matters. The world melts away, and the only thing that matters is the thing that I'm doing. And I think for a lot of people. You know, I have, I have, I have um, conversations with my, my roommates about this, Alex, for example. Um, she struggles with trying to find the thing, the one thing that's, that's going to be the, 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 the thing that she's passionate about. She, she envies my, my, my dedication to these things that I really, really love. And I, I keep telling her and I keep telling other people that it, 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 I didn't just wake up one morning and, and, and decide – that I wanted to, to be a great photographer, that I wanted to be a great golfer. I had to wake up several mornings in a row for months at a time. And in some cases, years at a time and make that choice until it was no longer a choice.
1: Right. That's a, there's a great book by a man named Charles Duhigg called uh, the power of habit. And he talks about, um, you know, willpower is something that we're, we have limited supply of. It runs out. Um, which is why things like um, In-N-Out Burger are successful. People don't know this. Why is In-N-Out Burger successful? Uh, yeah. It's limited choices, and people feel freed by that limited choice because we're forced forced to make so many choices in our life daily, especially now with um, cell phones in our hands. You know, do I open this app? Do I open that? I hate to tell you, you're using willpower every time you choose to do those things. Um, but he goes into the. the 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 mechanics of a habit. And I think this is a good time to go into this because this is how you can do it in your life. Um, you want to talk about practical steps. I'm going to really break it down into is about as micro of steps as I can. So there are three parts to every habit and a habit is what you create by doing things over and over again. Like Lam, Lam was talking about, um, for those who didn't make the connection, the first part of the habit is the trigger. This is the thing that, uh, Puts you into the habit, you know, for, for some people, the, the thing that triggers, um, having a cigarette is having a full meal or having sex. Um, <laughs> I think that only happens in movies. Neither of us smoke anymore either. Uh, uh, the second part of the habit is the actual action, the, the actual thing, the, the habit itself, you know, and the third part is the reward, which is the part a lot of people don't realize when it comes to habits. Um, so for example, smoking a cigarette, Uh, You have the the trigger is the full meal and you have the cigarette. The reward is the nicotine buzz or it is the oral fixation. It's going to be different for everybody, but there is a reward there. So the way you, the quickest way to build a habit is to find a bad habit and rip out the middle. Find the trigger, find the reward, rip out the middle and put the thing in there that you want to do. You know, for example, if you, um, if you eat, Uh, bad food, you know, you're, you're always, every time you walk by the fridge, you open the freezer and you eat a popsicle or a, um, have some ice cream, you know, you you shovel in some Ben and Jerry's. What you can do is understand that, Oh, my trigger apparently is walking by the fridge. My reward is the satisfaction of having something in my gut. What if I took the ice cream out of the fridge and I put something else in there? So that the trigger, when I walk by there, boom, I walk by there. Now, instead of having ice cream to grab, there's carrots. And I put the carrot in, and now I'm having the same satisfaction. Because uh, when it comes to eating, it comes to food, uh, we, we're all triggering memories most of the time when we eat something. We're triggering the time we had it for the first time. So we're triggering a, a sensation of pleasure. So if you want to build a healthy habit of writing every day, find something that you do every day that you don't feel good about that you want to get rid of and rip out that middle and put writing in there. You know, like for for me, one of the one of the things that I did was um, I would have, you know, Instagram or Twitter in the bottom part of my phone screen. And I would always be dipping in there, right? So what did I do? I took those apps out of there and I put my Kindle app in there. And I put the podcast app in there and I put my notes app on that row. So that now when I put my finger in that automatic spot, that automatic trigger, I can't open those apps. Now what I can open is a book to read. It's, you're just, you're using your body and your brain the way it works instead of fighting against it. So bringing this back to Frida Kahlo, right? Um, She created a habit of painting because, you know, she's in this bed. Now, like I said, she could have focused on being in pain. She could have focused on so many other things laying in that bed. But what she chose to do is put an easel above her. And focus on that. And that's where her energy went. That's where she went. She created a focus. And if you want to change something, if you want to make something, change your focus. Just snap yourself out. Find something else to focus on. Stop paying attention to the things that suck.
2: I find that that also helps me to... to... Um, I was really good at one thing, um, and I wanted to get better at another. And I used them in conjunction with each other to create uh, a kind of synergistic momentum that led me to doing both better.
1: And that's that's one of the things, even going back to what we said at the beginning of this episode about our, our separate podcasts that we're going to be doing. That's a way for us to build this up and make this better and other things in our creative life. So that's another important habit, too, that Lamb brings up is um, – you're always, I think by nature in our lives, we're always going to have one or two legs. Um, I don't mean just physically. I mean, uh, as far as what our focus is, you know, you're going to have your main focus, but then there's all these other little things and using those, um, and focusing on those things because I'm good at this and I'm good at this. Those build on that leg. They, they give support to that leg. They strengthen those legs. Um, So you're you're creating a synergistic relationship there, like Lamb said. And that's a powerful thing, you know, like she used her medical knowledge in some degree in these paintings. She used her life, she used her relationships, she used her pain, she used the tools that she had. And and that is if you're gonna take any lesson from Frida Kahlo, it's not that if she can do it, you can do it. It's that look at the tools you have.
2: Limit your tools. Um, based on the thing that you said earlier too, uh, which is um, people, people are, are tricked into thinking their entire lives that the, 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 the abundance of choice is actually what makes you happy. But I, both you and I have, have seen countless examples, read many books and seen a number of different sources that say the more choices you have, the less happy you tend to be. So, in Frida's choice, or in Frida's case, for example, it was by necessity. It's because she didn't really have a choice. She was limited to her environment, the tools at hand, um, and a very specific perspective on the world. But if you if you want to get started somewhere as an artist, try to limit your choices as an artist. Pick a medium. Um, pick a subject, or pick one particular thing, and get really freaking good at it, <laughs> and then and then use that as a way to build that tool, so you can add it to your right. toolkit to do other things.
1: And you'll see that in a lot of great artists. Look at Van Gogh, the blue period. He limited himself to blue. <laughs> I mean, just these these. Uh, no, uh, was that Picasso? That no, was Picasso. Sorry, uh, <laughs> uh, but. The the limitation of, of tools is, is, is superbly important. I mean, because especially nowadays. Um, I know we talk about apps on here and apps that will be useful to you. This isn't because I want you guys to go through and and look at all these apps and like, oh, this one has this feature and this one has this feature. Like I've like you said, I have, I know a lot about productivity apps, but I use Wonderless. And Wonderless is pretty basic. It's the system that I use in Wonderless that helps me it's not wonderlist itself wonderlist is just easy so don't get caught up on all that stuff you know like don't get caught up on you don't have the right camera
2: you know crystal for example was looking to do some 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 um content for um, her website and or her her shopping website and and she kept talking about do I need this studio equipment? Do I need that studio equipment do it no, I, I For any artist, I mean especially for a guy like me where you know if I if I was only limited to my professional camera all the time I would take an eighth as many pictures and and so you, Art is in the world around you and and the tools are in the world around you and and usually the tools are much easier to access um I guess the, the the better way to say it isn't that the tools aren't are are easy to access, but that anything can be used as a tool if you use your your brain and your creativity to turn it into that.
1: Is there anything more you want to say about Frida? I know we could really go on forever.
2: Um, with Lynch or Cave or any of those guys, you could you could just focus on their work and still be impressed by it and still learn quite a bit from it. But I think with Freedom, more than any artist we've ever talked about. You are doing yourself a phenomenal disservice if you don't look at her life, too.
1: Go check out more female artists. Thank you guys for, I wouldn't say tuning in, but thank you guys for downloading and hitting the play button. Thank you for all of you who have rated us and reviewed us on iTunes. We appreciate it. If more of you want to do it, we will appreciate you just as much, if not more. <laughs> uh, Anybody listening to us on Overcast, hit that little star button. Give us a, give us a a recommend. And the last thing I want to (laughs) say is Shazam!